we hear about jobs when it comes to AI a lot. AI is going to steal our jobs, going to change uh, the landscape and all that. But when it comes to the energy industry changing and how we provide energy to ourselves and to, to our companies and stuff, no one is really talking about what's going to happen to the workers and the professions that are related to energy production and distribution and usage of fossil fuel, maybe and anything that is related to it. What will happen in the next decades to the job market instead? Can we start like just shedding some light? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get on with it. There are a number of research studies that suggest that some 20 million, 30 million jobs need to be created. Let's not get into specific numbers. But what we need to understand is these numbers can obviously change because as companies transition and Countries make their own you know, transition plans. The sort of global understanding is that we need to get to net zero by 2050. If we need to get to net zero by 2050, we can't wait until 2040 in order to take that action, right? We have around 4,000 companies that have already put together their net zero targets and they are working on short-term plans what to do by 2025, what to do by 2030. So as these large companies put together their net zero transition plans, what happens is they also enforce it onto their supply chain. And when they enforce it onto their supply chain, a number of these suppliers are medium-sized enterprises or small companies that supply some components and they provide some services. So they also need to have net zero targets in place. Secondly, what is also happening is a number of financial institutions have net zero targets and they require their borrowers also to have similar sort of targets in place, right? When a bank tells you that I can offer you maybe 1% lesser interest if you have a net zero target in place, that's a pretty good motivation for a business owner to start working on how they can avail that benefit, right? Similar case with mortgages, green mortgages where, you know, you have a better energy efficiency and thereby the interest rate on those mortgages are slightly lesser than the market rates, which means that you have a motivation to take that action. This is how things are changing. And when that changes, obviously jobs will have to change. Not a lot of talk is going on around this. And what we hear in the market is that there is AI being talked about, and then they say AI will come and solve all of these problems. Sorry to say this, AI will not generate the new electricity for you. AI is not going to transport and it is not going to ship your goods from here to anywhere else. AI is not going to run the machines that are needed to manufacture the products that, that you use as part of your normal life. AI is not going to be building houses for you. So all these things will need jobs. And these jobs will not go away. Some of these jobs will be retail. Some of these jobs will require additional skills to be gained. And a number of new jobs will also need to be created. That is where we are now. 
And uh, one of the problems that I have with this topic is nobody is talking at a sector level. Nobody is talking at a country level. Nobody is talking at a job or skill level. And what I'd like to do here is essentially talk about a positive story, a job creation story, a training story, competitiveness kind of a story, and essentially motivate people to upskill themselves and be able to gain access to those jobs as they are created and help their, help their companies, help their organizations transition towards a low-carbon economy. You can do this pretty much in any job. Any job today is requiring some level of you know, additional skills uh, which are needed because of the transition. Right? But we will go in, into details, Francesco. Is it possible already from the information we have at hand to map this out? So to say, I'll break it down by sector, like, do we have any information available about, like, really go deeper? All the core industrial sectors are, I would say, ripe for transformation in this journey. And they are going to start seeing the impact from 2024 onwards, right? 2024 to 2030 is definitely going to be a transformative cycle where a number of newer jobs will need to be created, training has to be done, and Companies need to look at which jobs to keep, and which ones to, you know, retrain, uh, which are the ones that require additional workforce. Our research seems to suggest that in the industrial sectors like power, that is oil and gas, uh, transportation, logistics, buildings, real estate. Uh, in the industrial sectors, uh, what we find is about 90% of all jobs uh, will require some level of pre-training or the other. And our research seems to point towards anywhere between 6 and 10% of all jobs in these industrial sectors that can be retained assets. Meaning no change at all. By 2030, you are doing exactly what you were doing in 2023. Right? That is only about 6 to 10%. So the remaining 90% or even 93, 94% of jobs will need some level of additional skills or the other. But what we are also seeing is these industrial sectors will need to hire at least about 37% additional workforce. Okay. It's a 37% increase in workforce that will be needed in these industrial sectors, right? And I'll come to areas where the additional workforce needs uh, coming from. But before we even get there, I think what we also need to understand is this net zero transition cannot happen purely as an emissions reduction scheme alone. Any emission reduction has to have, I would say, three other pillars along with it. Number one being profitability. So when you, uh, when you take up an emission reduction project and within your organization, they will need to look at how profitable they are going to end up with. If it's a five-year journey from now until 2030, whatever, if it's a five-year journey, they've got to see what is the future. From 2030, are they going to be at least a little bit more profitable than what they were right now? And how that profit can come in. 
That's a very important pillar to look at. Secondly, they also need to look at how they will be competitive in their own sector and whether there are any other additional players. And why do I say that is many of these industrial sectors undergoing transformation and disruption at this point, there could be way smaller companies that can provide your customer the same level of service that you provide with a billion dollar enterprise. That's a reality today. That is a reality today. Right. So we have newer, smaller companies that are already factoring in new processes and new kinds of workforce. Do we have examples of such companies? Examples of these? Who, who knew uh, that uh, a small company uh, like Octopus Energy uh, over here in the UK could become the third largest energy supplier here in UK, right? They are barely six years old. They're six or seven years old. And they are way smaller than all the traditional players like British Gas and Scottish Power and whatever. You've got a very small company which does not own any of the infrastructure but they are the third largest energy supplier. Who knew that Tesla would be the largest car manufacturer in the world? Most valuable automobile company in the world. If you took a very traditional mindset, I would say, ah, okay, GM, Ford, Mercedes, BMW, etc. These are the big players. Sorry, you're forgetting the fact that there are other players which are eating into your market share. So you got to look at how competitive you are in the market. So any emission reduction is not going to be independent of a search towards competitiveness. So it acts pretty much in, in tandem with profitability and competitiveness. And I would say there's a third pillar here, which is the job market. Irrespective of automation coming in and AI coming in, you're still going to need a lot of the human intelligence and creativity to enable that transition from here into 2050. So unless that job market is ready and people are available with that kind of skills that you need, your transition is going to be very difficult. So I would say these four pillars, that is emissions reduction, profitability, competitiveness, and the job market. These four will need to operate in tandem. And only then these industrial sectors will be able to transition successfully. And for them to transition successfully, there are a number of drivers today. And those drivers are coming in through policy. It is coming from regulation. It is coming from customer preference. It is coming from their own competition, like Octopus Energy, which I mentioned, 100% renewable. How does Octopus Energy compare with some of the traditional players. Your customer is going to think in parameters which you've never even thought of before. If you had the pretty simplistic thinking of what is my price per unit of electricity, you might be competitive. But your competitor is offering maybe slightly higher pricing and taking away your customers because they are renewable. And your customer wants a renewable source of energy, right? You can't stay in a stagnant market in situations like this. I think that's the challenge that mm -hmm. companies need to 
realize. And from my conversations with a number of CEOs right now, they realize the problem, but unfortunately, none of them have a clue of what they need to do. Interesting. Do they have a clue on uh, which jobs they might need to change? They might need, unfortunately not. Uh, do they have a clue of how they can stay competitive in this market when all these forces are acting? Unfortunately not. You can put a very nice public image out there and say, we know this, we are running this, we are doing, uh, we are doing this setup, etc. But it falls apart the moment you peel a couple of layers down, right? You peel a couple of layers down from the public disclosure, falls apart completely because it does not stand on all these pillars. It is looking at one pillar more extensively, but it's not looking at all the other pillars. That's the issue in hand. And I think today, let's focus on the jobs part, but let's talk about some of the mm. other areas as well in another episode, Francisco. Uh, one question that comes to mind is, so we learned that from what you're saying, people in charge in companies, they don't know how to drive this sort of conversion. But also one question is, do you think there is actually supply of talent to basically fit the needs of all the companies out there? Do we have Absolutely. data about it? Absolutely. I'll talk about some of the trends. Maybe we'll uh, answer the question sector by sector, Francesco. Are there opportunities for workers to pick up new skills and thereby enhance their earning capacity? The answer is yes. Is there a scarcity in the market for some of these skills? The answer is yes. But there is a catch to all this. And that catch is called pace at which this transition takes place. Not all companies are going to transition towards net zero at the same pace. And because of the fact that it's quite individualistic. So you put net zero goals. I've got sustainability disclosures. I started with TCFTs, et cetera, et cetera. Five years ago, I started with now my, my sustainability disclosures. We hear these arguments a lot. But are all companies going towards the same path? The answer is no. You will always have situations where some are leaders, some are laggards. But in this game, there's got to be some leaders and some laggards for the job market also to catch up. And for employees to be able to, uh, basically for workers to upskill and get around to that, yes, that is definitely there. Let's start with the power sector, Francisco. One of the major trends that affects essentially the power sector is the increased electrification. So today we are, say, at a tipping point where we uh, have placed additional demands onto our electricity supplies. This comes from heating, going electric. So instead of gas boilers, can I use heat pumps? Can I use electric heaters? Can I switch towards electricity? So thereby my consumption goes a bit on the higher side. Can I switch to an electric car, which means that I will need to have a car port in the house and I will need to charge the car overnight. So all these place additional demands on the grid. So increased electrification is a trend that has been going on across, the, across all the developed markets. And we are seeing that the skills that are needed to track and analyze this does not just sit with 
power generation companies alone. Uh, this is not as simple as saying, ah, okay, we'll open another biofuel-based electricity generation facility or we will start another solar farm or whatever. That's, it's not as simple as that. Because this goes all the way from generation, transmission, distribution, and the end use of it. So it's the entire cycle. So if you work uh, in the transmission side, for example, if you had a new solar farm coming in, you got to connect it up to the grid. There you go. There are additional skills that are needed, additional jobs that need to be created in order to monitor that, battery capacity. There's a whole range of things that need to come in that one area alone. And when additional capacity comes in, you got to start looking at how the trunk lines are working. Can I just put one more pole and just extend the line? Or do I need to make changes to the core capacity over there? And this then leads to additional questions on the distribution side. So if there is an additional demand coming in from homes and businesses in certain areas, now, how is my distribution network structure? We are just looking, we are still looking at just one trend, which is increased electrification. And then the second trend that, that we want to talk about is the move towards renewables. Today, in the developed markets, uh, we've got about anywhere between 50 and 60% of our uh, electricity capacity coming in from fossil fuels. There is coal, oil, there is gas. Just looking at this five years ago, this was 78%. We are now at about anywhere between 50 and 60%. So renewables are catching up at a much faster pace than the extent to which fossil fuel-based power has essentially held on to. So a number of those jobs in fossil fuel-related power infrastructure would now also need retraining in getting into renewables because that's where the opportunity is. That's the other trend to, to actually look at. There is increased electrification, there is renewables. You also have the electrification of industrial processes. We are not just talking about just the homes that need additional power. Many of our core industrial sectors are also going electric, right? So when you have a cement or a steel manufacturer switching from fossil fuels into electricity, there you go. You've got additional demand at the end use. So your distribution needs to be revamped. Your, uh, your transmission needs to be revamped. You need to have sufficient capacity from a generation perspective all the way through. Another trend over there is in the industrial sectors, there are a number of captive units that are also coming up, right? Here in the UK and in Europe, many of the captive units that are being set up now are renewable units. In the past, we used to see many of the captive units being fossil fuel based because they could get a supply of gas and they would burn gas in, the, uh, in that plant and they would generate their own electricity. Right now, many of these are renewables. So that's another trend that is also taking place. You also see industrial clusters, meaning there is one set of captive units that come up for one large industrial cluster. 
a bunch of uh, industrial uh, firms that are all located around the same area. They can share one common captive facility that is not connected directly to the grid, but it is connected only to these uh, these consumers, these industrial consumers. Peak load has gone up. We essentially, the in the industrial side, we don't just build it as units. Electricity is built as two parts, right? One is the nominal usage during the day. And then there is a second part, which is the peak load that they use, right? And companies usually plan their peak load. When do they want their peak load to hit? Uh, can you substitute uh, grid power with captive power when you need it for your peak load, right? That way you can reduce expenses, right? So peak load has definitely gone up. But are electricity firms gaining out of it? Yes and no. Increase in, get, increase in the grid capacity, but at the same time, increase in captive capacity as well. Right. So these are some of the trends just in one sec. So here you can see all the way through from analysis to, uh, say, project planning, project development, management. Uh, you've got the procurement and commissioning of these, of these units. Uh, you've got to have maintenance of these units. You've got to have the analysis capacity. You've got to have the billing capacity, the, uh, the ability to map this to revenue, see if there are any leakages, there is fraud. There's a whole bunch of skills in just one sector, which is undergoing a transformation, right? So we can talk pretty similarly. I can talk about some of the trends in each and every sector that, that we are looking at, right? So each and every sector has got a few, I can say, a few number of uh, changes that are taking place, right? And these changes have started coming in at a very rapid scale. And that rapid scale is where I think, to say, the newer jobs are also going to come in, right? Another sector that is also quite ripe uh, for the transformation is essentially the transportation sector. So let's talk road first, and then we'll go to rail, and then we'll then go to aviation and maritime trans uh, transportation. In the in the road sector, right, you've got a rapid transformation that is going on because of the uh, all of the the areas from personal transportation to road engineering, highway engineering, etc. require an extensive transition. So, so when I say road engineering, what this means is people who plan and build roads, new roads or expanding new, expanding the existing highways and expanding the existing road infrastructure, right? Why is that needed? There are more cars on the road. There are more trucks on the road. There's higher congestion. This is on one side, but on the other side, you also have road usage-related restrictions that are coming in, right? One good example of that is low-traffic neighborhoods. So you've got roads that are blocked off. Only the residents in that area can actually enter those roads. So you cannot drive through a particular street or whatever. Similarly, there are also restrictions like cycle lanes that are coming in. There are bike lanes in many of the roads here in the UK. I can also talk about cycle lanes being put in, bus lanes that have come in. So the road usage is also changing. So accordingly, 
road engineering also needs to change. Traditionally, roads were constructed using a number of materials that are non-renewable, right? Let's not talk very specifically about tar and asphalt and et cetera, et cetera, materials. That's for, a, that's for another discussion altogether. But, but the need for roads that can probably take some of the recycled material, recycled plastic very specifically, take that and mix it with the material that is used to lay the roads. That's another trend that we are seeing. Thirdly, there is a move towards electric vehicles, which we already spoke about. And that means that you are having more heavier vehicles on the road. Electric vehicles are typically anywhere between 20 to 30% heavier than internal combustion vehicles. A bit more heavier vehicles, uh, which are hitting the road. And there are a number of issues that start coming up when you see, currently we have a very small percentage of electric vehicles on the road. We haven't seen the bigger issues like caving in or foundational problems or cases like differential settlement. A differential settlement is a case where the road starts going like this, right? Instead of being like this, yeah. starts slanting on either side because, because of a number of heavy vehicles going in. You start developing almost like a mound in the middle. So you're seeing, you're seeing a number of changes over there. So you will need people who can plan these projects, who can design them, they can develop them, execute it, uh, manage these. Traffic management is a major issue in most of the large cities. And it's going to be even more acute as we go on. And there are a number of cities that already have air pollution controls. Like in London, you already have the uh, congestion charging zone. You have the low emission zone and the ultra low emission zone. You have similar sort of schemes in, in various cities. I know Singapore was one of the first ones to start. But basically, the central business district was like restricted access. Essentially, you've got to pay a toll for you to enter into the central business district. You have a number of these schemes that are there. It requires a completely new skill set in each of these areas. Okay, so to wrap up this first episode about the job market, the current energy demands cannot be met solely by the existing resources as there is a growing need for more electricity. And this is just an example, by the way, one of the sectors that will be the most impacted. Uh, therefore, uh, it is essential to explore financially viable methods to increase energy supply. This might involve collaborating to utilize shared energy plans that can provide the necessary power, which is really interesting to hear. Similarly, with increasing number of electric vehicles, there will be a significant impact on road infrastructure as well. The usage of electric and heavy vehicles could lead to road damage, necessitating modifications in road design and maintenance. The situation indicates a broader need for a fundamental redesign of our urban environments. New ideas and perspectives are required to address these evolving needs. We must rethink and plan our living spaces with these changes in mind. This approach will not only cater to current demands, but also reshape the physical layout of our cities. In essence, 
there is a substantial need for updates and transformation to adapt to these new challenges and requirements, which in turn means that we will need a new set of talent to come in and work this all out holistically. And we just started to talk about the transformations in the job market across the different sectors due to the reshaping of the energy industry. We'll continue along this track in the next episode, so stay tuned.